Welcome to Vice and Easy, your podcast for all things Miami Vice, with your host, Marina. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Vice and Easy. It is, as always, your host, Marina. I want to do a few housekeeping notes before we get into the episode. This episode this week is bought and paid for. Housekeeping, though, junior executive at 1987 actually brought up a good point. Um, would anyone be interested in reviving a Miami Vice Discord channel where we could all chat? Or what I was thinking, this was way before I even started the podcast when I was on Twitch, is streaming episodes that are hard to find online, such as Evan. And for us living in the United States, every single one, because you can't stream it anywhere. You can't find it on the internet. There are ways to find it. But if you want to actually stream it on any service, you cannot hear currently in the States. And in Canada, it's available on CTV Throwback. So if that's something you're interested in, let me know. I don't know if I can start the discord but i would like to contribute to it it's more moderating and if comments are coming in about you having to moderate comments about you you know it could just uh, ruin my day so maybe that's just me being a baby but if you are interested please let me know i'll put up a little survey or whatnot on the instagram or tiktok and see how y'all feel well Let's get into another super depressing episode. It's always great when I get to cry during an episode. Not as much as with episodes such as uh, Where the Buses Don't Run. But yeah, I forgot how sad this episode was. So cool beans. And then I got to do more research on the Duvaliers. So even more depressing. (laughs) And then reading up on what's going on in Haiti now. So let's try to find the comedic relief in this episode. Unfortunately, the way we're going to do that is playing into antiquated wealthy Latino stereotypes from the 1980s. Without any further ado, let's get to season two, episode 10, Bond Paid For. Trigger warning for this episode, rape. Let's get into the IMDb synopsis. Gina's cleaning woman gets raped in Gina's home by the spoiled son of a wealthy man who thinks he's above the law. Despite evidence being circumstantial, Gina wants to have the man arrested. Izzy steals Switek in Zito's bug van. So we open up this episode, Gina running around, running errands, and she asks her new friend, her housekeeper, cleaning lady, Adet to grab some groceries for a hot date Gina has later on. And she says that she left a gift for her in the closet. Beautiful, beautiful, stunning girl. So while Adet is gathering the groceries for Gina, she joins the Vice Squad to monitor a little stakeout. And who do we think is leading this stakeout? Why it's none other than our boy Izzy. I think you guys are gonna close down every Coke distributor south of Atlanta. This is guaranteed, man. This hasn't been stepped on, man. 100% pure. Okay, this sounds pretty promising. Then one of the guys says, gee, it's hot in here. And that is the code word. The Vice Squad descends on the scene. A little bit of comic relief as the open bag of white powder gets all over one of the guys in question. Just as they're getting really cocky, the Vice Squad learns they goofed. Miami Vice cracks down on illegal soft drinks. What? Look, it was a bum tip. I just found out. Artificial sweetener, Jack. These guys don't run drugs. They run supermarkets. And they're just about to get into the diet soda business. Who the hell would rip off a trainload of artificial sweetener? Uh, said his name was Crown. But a sidekick called him Izzy. We hear a car start in the background. 
Why, if that isn't Izzy driving off with the bug van as hijinks ensue, we cut to the intro and then we cut to the proper open. Odette is walking back with the groceries from the market for Gina's hot day tonight. Please reacquaint yourself with Gina's apartment and how widely decorated it is. Uh, you remember this apartment from Give a Little, Take a Little, Take a Little in season one. It looks like she's repainted the living room. It looks extra bright. It's like a seafoam green. She has great wallpaper, pink appliances. It is heaven. Now, Odette comes in. She does not lock the door behind her. She does go into Gina's apartment, which is on the second floor. So naturally, when you live on the second floor of an apartment, that's not something that you like always automatically do. I will just tell everybody, please always lock the door behind you. The one time you don't, and this happened to me, I've locked so many people out of the house. And the one time I didn't because I had a metal door and then a door and I just left the metal door and I didn't lock it. And someone barged in at two in the afternoon. Luckily, I was in the kitchen, so there were weapons all around me. But again, those weapons could have also been used against me. Um, And I'm just very thankful that the person who barged into my apartment was just looking for water and nothing else. And I was able to get them out because they definitely outmatched me in size and height. And that could have been a really, really bad end to the story. So... That is my little rant slash PSA. And unfortunately for her, as we learn later on this episode, it wouldn't have really mattered whether or not she had locked the door behind her. But unfortunately, as she's running to go look at the dress that Gina left out for her and she's trying it on, we see someone enter the apartment. We see a very handsome man. I know it pains me to say this, knowing what his character's like, but the actor himself... Joaquim de Amida is very handsome. You cannot deny that. And we see him in the kitchen petting the cat who's sitting on top of the fridge with a knife out in his hand. As he walks into the room, sees Odette, she sees him in the reflection of the mirror, and she gets a really terrified look on her face. She knows this man. We do see him fold up the knife and approach her. I told you to leave me alone. Unfortunately, it gets worse from there. That thud you heard was her getting thrown onto the ground. He picks her up by the hair, still muttering just really gross things as she's begging and asking for him to stop and that she wants to be left alone. Unfortunately, um, as we can all deduce, he does end up raping her. Sunny and Gina end up coming back to Gina's apartment together. Turns out that Gina got stood up by the guy that she was going to make this long dinner for. So Sunny decides to take her up on the offer. And as they're walking into her apartment complex, they see the rapist walking out, not knowing who he is. So they just pass Once Crockett and Gina get to the apartment, they know something's going on. Gina stays to comfort her. Crockett runs out to go find this guy. He's putting two and two together by seeing this, I was going to say (laughs) D-bag, leaving the apartment, then getting into a Lamborghini Countach. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I looked it up online and I also asked... How it was properly pronounced. So fingers crossed that's the, the right way to pronounce it. The car you will recognize 
there are differences in the models, um, but you will recognize the general gist of that white, spoiled, rich douchebag car from the Golden Triangle. Different, I can't remember if this one is the American or the European model or vice versa. For once, I did not do my comic book guy research. Boy, I really hope somebody got fired for that blunder. Now, please go look at the gallery and you'll see this all over my Instagram and TikTok. I took a ton of gifts because this chase scene is super iconic. I did recognize it. It's from the Vice City intro from Grand Theft Auto Vice City of the two cars next to each other racing. And it's a really well choreographed chase scene. They... um, run through the toll collectors onto the causeway they're able to eventually stop so once Crockett shows his badge our douchebag puts away the knife speeds up to get away from Crockett Crockett follows him and that's where this whole iconic chase scene begins it does end on the causeway I believe someone else spins out and they're finally able the Lamborghini Countach is finally brought to a stop Crockett gets out arrests him, and this guy acts exactly like how you think a guy like this would act. It's a hundred grand worth of machine. Don't scratch it. What's the charge? Pick one, buddy. Resisting arrest, reckless driving, or rape. Rape? That's right, pal, rape. Look at me, amigo. I'm rich. I'm beautiful. The finest senoritas in Miami beg me for it. Why would I rape? I'm not your shrink. Now, did you hear that kick after he told Crockett not to scratch his $100,000 car? Yes. Love it. Now, Gina and Crockett are talking on the phone. Gina's at the hospital with Odette while Crockett is... With Arroyo is standing in line. His name is Nick Arroyo. You're going to learn a little bit more about him in a little bit. I'm laughing because there's just so many stereotypes in play that kind of gave me some comic relief as to how depressing and dark this episode was. I don't know the proper term for it. I meant to research it, but I forgot while I'm recording. It's when you go after you've been booked, you have to go declare your possessions, like whatever you're coming into. So usually you have to like leave your jewelry, your money, your ID, whatever, cell phone, what have you. Um, So at this time, Crockett and Gene are talking and he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm sure this is the guy. Um basically saying that it's like, you know, this rich land playboy. And then Gina's like, wait, no, Adette said that her attacker was a gringo. That's when, almost kismetly, unfortunately, a lawyer is there to spring Arroyo and put him out on bail. Basically, to wait. Him and Crockett have a little bit of an interaction. Crockett keeping it salty as always. I'll give you a tip. Lose the cologne. You smell like a cheap pimp. Hey, what do you know? This stuff costs a hundred bucks an ounce. Now I'm looking at a perfume bottle in my recording studio slash closet slash bathroom. 4.2 ounces. Another one I have. It's a little bit smaller. It is one ounce. Oh, wow. Uh, what's the other one I have? It is... Does not have it on here. It is 1.7 fluid ounces. Oh my god. This is so expensive. 
All right, maybe there's a little bit of Arroyo, unfortunately. 1.7 ounces, oh my God. Yeah, so if we do the math, so his cologne is minimum 170 to 420 dollars in 1985 dollars uh, the reason i'm so surprised because there is this very bougie perfume and i believe i asked for it for christmas and i think i looked up like what it was at canadian dollars and it was over 300 dollars and then i was like that was the one i was like oh my god it's only 1.7 ounces jesus christ i can never afford that again in my life cool so a little bit depressing, but hey, maybe one day, maybe after this recession, I'll get some fancy perfume or I'll just use it like I'm doing now. It's been on my shelf for five years. Very, very, very sparingly. <laughs> now, Crockett is going to the crime scene as they're looking over stuff. He gets a little bit more background information. And this is where I am going to laugh. I don't care. I know it's like not the greatest thing, but I laughed so hard when I found out that this kid is the son of a former general of Ecuador who was run out during a coup, stole money from the treasury, and used that to open up banks in Miami because it just plays into so many stereotypes of the 80s. And <laughs> I laugh so hard because I'm like, of course, like, you know, 1980s, 1970s, 1960s, Caribbean, Latin America. There are a lot of coups, a lot of CIA puppet regimes, a lot of uh, U.S., a lot of international interference and a lot of um, not so legitimate elections. So I was just laughing so hard because it just reminded me of a lot of things first. Dear Lisa, as I write this, I am very sad. A president has been overthrown and replaced by the benevolent General Krull. All hail Krull and his glorious new regime. Sincerely, little girl. And also just the answers you get when you ask people like, oh, when did your family move here? Or like, so-and-so. Like, <laughs> my boyfriend's ex had a driver that would drive their cars up from Jalisco in Mexico up to the border and then my ex born in venezuela had two nannies as a baby not people that worked around the house and was also his nanny just two dedicated nannies as a baby then one of my family friends i was asking her when she and her family moved to canada she's like oh yeah we all moved in the late 70s i was like oh wow like that's you know, they were all adults at the time, too. It wasn't like they were in school. And she's like, yeah, you know, my dad was the general of... I'm not going to name what country. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so how amicable was this transition where you leave it something behind? It doesn't seem like they were involved in anything nefarious, but it's just playing into stereotypes. But it was at least providing me with some comic relief. If it's out of line, I'm sorry, but this made me laugh a lot. And so after getting all the background onto who Arroyo was and who his dad was, they, the vice team mentioned something about like all this cologne she must have been wearing because it's all over the dress. When Crockett sees the dress, takes a whiff, and unfortunately, it's instantly recognizable. Smell this. Reeks, huh? She must bathe in cologne. It's a men's cologne. Really? Yeah. It's called Golden Warrior, man. Hey, I'll buy you some for your birthday. On your salary, it's my thing. We're talking about 70 bucks an ounce, buddy. More like 100. Uh, of course it's called Golden Warrior. 
Oh, and quick correction. I'm not sure if I want to catch this in editing. Uh, Arroyo's father was the deposed general of Bolivia, not of Ecuador. Sorry. <laughs> Just uh, not doing too well this episode, playing into stereotypes. Well, after this, Crockett, knowing that Adetta's lying, remember that she said that her attacker was a gringo. Knowing that this cologne matches this guy, he was leaving the apartment. Things are all adding up for Crockett. So he goes over to Adetta's, tries to take Gina aside to explain what's going on. She doesn't want to hear it. She knows her to be honest. But obviously there are other things at play. And Adet explains her reasoning to Gina in this next clip. He would never leave me alone, always touching me, saying dirty things, trying to make love to me. And when Mrs. Sanchez, the full-time servant, told me about the other girl, I quit. What other girl? She worked in the house before me. Mrs. Sanchez said he raped her. Sheena. I tried. He had a knife. What could I do? I know. You couldn't do anything. But you can now. File a charge. Oh, no! He said if I told anyone, he'd have me sent back to Haiti. He can't do that. You're a legal alien. He's the son of a general. Oh, man. And Adette has her reasons, and she's not wrong about the power imbalance. And unfortunately... She worries that justice will never be found. Gina really, really wants her to continue to press charges and to have him face legal repercussions. But unfortunately, as many of us know firsthand or through friends or through family members, it is incredibly rare and it is an incredibly arduous process to get anywhere. And yeah, I don't know. I kind of want to skip over this, but I don't. It's just very hard for me to articulate my feelings. And as much as things have improved since 1985, uh, unfortunately, this is something that continues to affect us. And this culture and the culture of protecting rapists and having it be such a long, horrific legal battle to get any sliver of justice and then having the odds stacked against you the entire way, having your entire sexual history revisited, or if it happened when you were a kid, it's hearsay at according to the eyes of the law in most cases, or you've passed the statute of limitations, or the person is dead, or the person has expensive lawyers like this guy. And it's just justice is unfortunately the majority of the time, unattainable for sexual assault and rape victims. And the trauma and the scars live on forever. And I, I am glad that Gina does mention this later on in the episode, which is talking to Castillo, that he didn't leave any scars that you could see, but that the scars will always be there. Unfortunately, Castillo says that, well, in the eyes of the law and the DA, those are the scars that matter. And as sad as that is, that is true in the eyes of the law. And this is a horrible topic, and I don't want to talk about this. And I'm going to take a quick break. I'll be right back. I'm back. I wasn't crying or anything. I was just like, I'm not expressing my thoughts in uh, erudite or eloquent manner. So I'm just going to stop on the head. Let's get into some more uh, depressing news with this next clip. Head hit the pillow. Lab report. Prints, hair samples, blood types, all Arroyo. Made my day. The only thing Arroyo didn't leave was a forwarding address. Yeah, 
Creep figured he had nothing to worry about. Gina, Trudy, my office. And, well, this is the depressing part that I mentioned earlier where Castillo basically explains to Gina that the DA finds the evidence irrelevant uh, because there was no sign of force entry or uh, physical marks, scars, scabs, what have you, on her body that it's he said, she said at this point. And Gina is not having any of it. Operation, I'll get it. Mrs. Sanchez, the full-time maid, told her that that Arroyo raped another maid that worked in that house. I'll find her. It's a long shot, Gina. Arroyo raped this girl in my apartment, and we all know it. I'm entitled to a long shot. I'll talk to the DA. Get him to file. Come up with something. And a surprise to absolutely nobody, Arroyo is already out on bail. And with the charges possibly going to get dropped, it looks like he's going to get off scot-free. This is when we cut to him swimming backwards in his infinity pool. In his, well, it's not his bachelor pad because his dad lives there as well. Speaking of, guess who wants to have a word with their son? I've given you everything. Still, you want what you can't have, right? Guess where I learned it from? No. There's a difference. In Bolivia, I started with nothing. And you, with the daughters of the finest families available to you, what do you do? What do you do? Nothing. Rape a servant girl. You sicken me. Oh man, and the first time I watched this episode, I was like, yes, go dad, put him in his place, until basically Arroyo Jr. scoffs at it being, quote, a minor matter, amusing at best. His father basically says that 20 years in American jail, well, American prison is not going to be amusing, and that he is going to take care of it and that Arroyo Jr. is to have nothing to do, not going to say a word, not going to go see this girl a dead. <sighs> well, at the precinct, Gina has this gorgeous dress that she's showing off that she wants to give a dead, unfortunately, you know, to replace the one that was so horrifically tainted by her rape. And Crockett makes a very funny quip. What do you think? Uh, no thanks. I'd probably only wear it once and then leave it in the closet. <laughs> this dress is gorgeous, though. It's a different mix of, like, geometric shapes, sequined. Uh, I don't want to say sequined, but bejeweled, shiny, um, beaded. Gorgeous dress. And then, so, on to our Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Zito and Switek are going to go recover the bug van from Izzy. And they want information on this Guerrero girl. Guerrero woman so they can have another story to corroborate a death story with the DA therefore hopefully get the charges to stick therefore hopefully bring some kind of justice against Arroyo let's leave that plot to the side because guess who despite his father's orders wants to talk to Adet to have a conversation about the truth and Gina is with her at her house. Not Gina's house, but at Odette's house. It gets worse. The truth is, 
the little tramp begged me for it. Get out of my sight. I love anger in a woman. It's very sexy. Well, as your blood is boiling, let's cut to this nightclub. It might be called Crackers. I took a photo of it and I put it up in the gallery because that's what I can see spelled out of the neon sign. I swear it says Crackers. Please let me know if my eyes are my eyes are deceiving me. But <laughs> we get a live performance by El Debarge. Today I learned there are multiple Debarges. I thought there was just one. I thought that the rhythm of the night guy was the same guy who was married to Janet Jackson and is rumored to be the father of her secret baby. Today I learned that El Debarge is the rhythm of the night guy, that the Debarges were similar to the Jacksons and that there were multiple siblings singing, dancing, performing in a group, and that James Debarge was the one who was married to Janet Jackson. And now obviously I cannot find any evidence of their secret love child, but that was the rumor for years because Janet Jackson was around 18 years old when she married James Debarge and they divorced one or two years later. And the rumor was that they had to give the child up for adoption to one of her family members in order for her to continue pursuing her career. She denies it. She said that she would never want to keep the child from her father, blah, 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 or the hypothetical child from their father. I'm already gendering this mysterious baby. I heard it was a girl. I heard it was a girl raised by Robbie Jackson. Who did I hear it from? The internet, non-actual source. So I'm just out here spreading a very cold old tea over here on Vice and Easy. But this is actually a very wholesome scene where Adette looking beautiful on her dress, dancing with tubs, Gina and Crockett are sitting together. Adette's super happy and she gives him a little bit of insight into her family in this next clip. But she's had a hard, poor life in Haiti. I send her $50 every week, but she's never been happy about my being here. She's afraid something bad will happen to me. Wow, $50 US in 1985 would be about $137 a week. So multiply that by four. So you'd get around $520 a month in today's dollars that she's sending back to her mom and her family in Haiti. Damn. Yeah. So, and that kind of foreshadowing kind of hits you really hard. But then we try to lighten the mood a little bit and they start dancing to Rhythm of the Night by our boy DeBarge in the next scene. And then it gets a little bit more depressing as they juxtapose her mother coming in from Haiti to meet with Arroyo. She's picked up by the airport by his goons. Hired goons. And while Arroyo Sr. was going to be one of my picks for best dress because he does look amazing while he is sitting cross-legged in a cream-colored suit smoking a cigar... The implication from this scene, though there is no dialogue, is that he is giving Adette's mother $10,000 in cash. And then when Adette comes home from the nightclub, she sees her mother on the couch and she's so, so, so excited to see her mom and to be reunited. And well, at the precinct the next day when Gina and Trudy walk in, Crockett lets them know that Adette has formally dropped the charges and that she was with her mother when she did so. Gina is really upset at hearing this news, goes over with Trudy to Adette's house. Again, I'm not going to cut the entire clip, but basically Trudy, as they see the limo pull up, men asks what the price of silence is in Haiti, 
And they get really judgy in this next clip until Adette brings them down to earth. My mother loves me. You want to know? It was $10,000. Cheap. How can you understand? Look at you. You have everything. You live like a rich girl with your nice home, your fine friend, and a closet full of beautiful clothes. $10,000 may not be much to you, but to my mother and sister, it's an entire life, food on the table every day, and a decent place to live. And what about Arroyo? What he did to you? What he did to that other girl? Doesn't that matter? I had no choice. Wow, I really give credit to Odette for laying into Gina and letting her know how privileged she is and that this wasn't Odette being quote-unquote cheap, like Gina said. This was a way to provide for her family, which is, I'm assuming, one of the reasons she moved to the States and she's been sending remittances back and that that kind of money could change her family's life, whereas her life's already been ruined. There's unfortunately no way to turn back the clock. So I understand why she's in that predicament. And I do appreciate that there is some nuance in it, that they're not just portraying it in a black and white way, that rape is about power. It's not about sex. And that Arroyo is going after women who don't have power and money like he does. And this is why he can continue doing what he does. <sighs> and Gina is upset and she does have a right to be upset. I can understand how frustrating it is to watch someone walk away scot-free after doing something so incredibly horrific to two women who didn't have the power to face him. And she as a law enforcement officer, has more power than these women that he is targeting. But unfortunately, there is no way to move forward with this particular case once the charges have been dropped and she's not going to be able to change Adette's mind now that there's some financial security for her family. When she and Crockett talk about it, you see where Gina's coming from. And fortunately, a lot of us do have a short memory, and especially Crockett. Tighten up. Wow, he really just said that to a woman who was upset. Oh my God. What's going on with you? You're a cop, not this girl's conscience. She made her decision. She made the wrong decision. Not your problem. I trusted her. You got that backwards, I think, huh? She trusted you. And you did everything you could do. After all, she was the one that was raped. You've got a hell of a short memory, son. Yeah, Crockett was the one that comforted her after she was raped in the episode. Give a little, take a little. Oh, man. So I do see where Gina's coming from. That because even though her assailant, her rapist, is dead, it still doesn't change the trauma and the hurt that he caused and seeing this play out again and seeing this guy walk scot-free and live this fabulous life of wealth and excess and privilege like I understand where she's coming from but you also can't fight someone else's battles and you can't tell someone else's story and so I understand the predicament she's in so unfortunately at this time 
Adette's leaving a box at Gina's doorstep. It looks to be like the dress she bought her. She goes back home. There's a really sad song playing. I believe it's Fleetwood Mac. What's the title of the song? Sorry, you can hear me going through my notes. It is... I'm So Afraid, Jesus Christ. I'm So Afraid by Fleetwood Mac. And she goes back home and she's walking home in the silence. We see the Lamborghini Countach parked outside her house. And we see him hiding. There's unfortunately a shot of him pushing the door closed as he forces himself on her. Has his knife out. And when she tells him no and that she wants him to leave her alone, he explains that she is bought and paid for, where we get the title of this episode, and that for $10,000, he owns each and every inch of her body, proceeds to rape her again. And while there is a kind of sweet juxtaposition of this scene where Crockett and Gina are in the precinct, Gina's stressed. They're in the break room. There's a candy machine in the background. He starts massaging her, which I also took a gif of because I thought it was a nice, wholesome gif to kind of level out the uh, depressingness of this episode. And she kind of realizes where she went wrong. And I love anyone who could admit their flaws or their faults in this next clip. You only did what you thought was right. That's just the problem. I pushed her to do what I wanted to do. Maybe if I was a, a terrified 18-year-old with no money, I'd have done the same thing as Odette. Maybe she'd like to hear that. Oh, wow. Well, spoiler alert, too little too late as Gina pulls up to Odette's house. Ambulance, cop cars, crime scene. Odette slit her wrists and left a note basically saying that Arroyo told her that she was his property now for $10,000 and the roommate and Gina embrace and then Gina has a moment to herself and cries and she does go over to the stretcher and pulls the sheet down to see Odette's face and my god this girl is beautiful even in the afterlife and Unfortunately, I kind of had a feeling this would happen at the end of the episode, just where this girl is backed into a corner. She did foreshadow that her mother wasn't happy, even despite the remittance money, because she was afraid that something bad was going to happen to her daughter. And this is how it ends. <sighs> so the next day, Gina decides to visit Arroyo himself to see how he feels, quote unquote, after a rape in front of all his friends. She says this verbatim in front of all her friends, which I give her incredible credit for. And she basically tells him after he refers to Adet as the tramp that she ended up killing herself. And he comes over to the door as she's leaving and half asked expresses his condolences and then continues to be a complete utter shitbag in this next scene. I'm a man, Guapa. Perhaps more men than you are accustomed to. I doubt it. You like your women helpless. You have to hide behind a knife and a rich father. I don't have to do anything. There are just a few things that I want. Whatever I want, I get. I think 
that I may want you. Oh, now go look at the gallery. We're going to cleanse your palate because so after all this disgust, please look at what Gina is looking at what Gina is wearing in this next scene because the whole crew, they're going to go for Chinese food. Also, I took a picture and made sure to circle it. You can finally see in great clear view the big booty Trudy plaque that sits on Trudy's desk. I've seen bits of it within the episodes, but I'd see like big or Trudy and now you can just see it all in its all its whole glory. Then when Crockett calls Gina and invites her to come, she says no. She's, you know, in the mood for a little bit of sedation. So she's sitting in an electric blue robe, not unlike the one that um, Susie Amos wore in Heart of Darkness, the second episode of the first season. Very similar to that. The same color, like electric blue she is sitting with her cat on her lap in her bed i was like oh my god this is like such a mood i love this so 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 much she looks so beautiful the cat's so cool she's gonna have a quiet night in love to see that now as gina's sleeping again with this cat by her side not the not not really um an attack or like a watch cat at all just very much a cat you know cats don't really care about anyone else other themselves but we love them anyway so this cat's just chilling sleeping as a figure walks into the apartment i don't know if this man is a master locksmith but he gets in without any forced entry with the knife out stands at the bedroom door at gina's bedroom door That little thud you'll hear at the beginning of this clip is him tossing the knife onto the floor. There. Don't move. I've come to give you what you want. And as he continues to step closer towards her after she's told him not to move and she has her gun out, she shoots him. Good for her. Oh, well, the end of another depressing episode. I, for one, at first when I was doing this, I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to have to do all the soap opera stuff in season four. I am so looking forward to the aliens and to the amnesia, to the quickie wedding, to the murder. I am looking forward to all of that because I have had a lot of very heavy weeks with a lot of these topics. And uh, yeah, when I was like doing a little bit more reading about what's going on in Haiti now, I was like, oh, wow, it's a... Worse than I thought. So, and I was also looking because I wanted to make sure the dates. So it turns out this was film September to October. No, maybe it was September. Hold on. I have the date somewhere. August to September. So it was before the revolt to get rid of Jean-Claude Duvalier. But however, it's not as if Haiti was doing any better before he was deposed. Again, you have to think about the history that his father, Francois, the Tantan Makouts, the Jean-Claude, the whole president for life thing with Papa Doc and Baby Doc and Baby Doc's wife, Michelle. I have this all written out more eloquently. But yeah, unfortunately, it was just as the Duvaliers, and let me specify, as Baby Doc and Michelle were continuously flaunting their wealth and they were televising their fabulous parties. Their wedding cost two million U.S. dollars again in the 1980s in the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere at the time. You can understand why this revolt finally happened and his father 
didn't start out that way. He was known as a doctor who was treating yaws and cholera within the working poor. He was actually an ordained, uh, he was a voodoo priest, uh, one of the few political candidates to actually have any kind of affiliation with voodoo, which was very much looked down upon by the Catholic majority in Haiti. And so, yeah, unfortunately, like the rule of the Tantan Makuts and the Diwaliers, the Tantan Makuts were the rural militia that was put into place by Papa Doc. And horrific violence anyone who opposed the Duvaliers in any way and again this was a president for life Papa Doc until his death and then his 19 year old son took over so the Tantan Makuts were just known for being incredibly brutal and violent and murdering families in their wake and people fleeing the violence and this is also what led to a lot of the migration to Miami at the time so I do appreciate that they kind of put into a bigger context of this was not just about Odette, this was about her family. And she came to America to provide for her family. And unfortunately, with all this that happened, for Gina, her treaty to try to call her cheap when all she was doing was providing what a fraction of money is to this person could change her entire family's life back in Haiti. So yeah, this is a very depressing episode. Let's loosen it up and let's have a little bit of fun with some fashion wow 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 this was a very fashionable episode obviously you know who my first pick is going to be it's going to be that electric blue silk robe and the cat i think the cat very much lends to it to it um i also did try to take a picture i believe it's in the gallery of the portrait don't a portrait sorry the painting that gina has in her apartment of this naked woman holding this black cat <laughs> i love it i love that gina is my cat lady spirit animal in this way also do you want to give a mention wild card i did take a gif of tubs dancing in the club because they were kind of making fun of how he dances then there's this guy that's dancing in front of them in like a little pork pie hat and a tie he's just going at it and i think i want him or l debarge to be the wild card i will let you know which one i decide once i finalize the gallery i also want to include arroyo senior on there not that i really approve of arroyo senior's actions he's less of a shitbag than his rapist son which isn't saying much but him in that cream suit paying off adette's mother smoking the cigar looks so fashionable I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It very much pains me to say that, but we're just talking fashion here. Gina looks great the entire episode. I did notice that she's looking a little bit skinnier in these episodes, but then um, you see how good she looks. I'm sorry. This sounds horrible. I'm not trying to impose unrealistic body standards, but she does look amazing in that pink top and the white pants. She looks great in the silver top. And of course, a debt in the beaded black dress that Gina gives her. Everybody looks amazing this episode, but obviously our best dress is going to be Gina with the blue robe, the cat, Adette. And I really also love Crockett wearing the short sleeve lilac. Maybe it's mauve, Henley. Um, there's a picture of him and Gina where she's in the pink top that I was talking about with the white pants. And they both look amazing. They look really good this episode. And I like that they didn't try to get them back together. Like there is a little bit of a kiss on the cheek moment, but there's more of a professional relationship rather than a romantic relationship, which I appreciate because this is not really the episode that we want to see them get back together. Oh, before I forget, special mention to the handful of gold jewelry <laughs> that Arroyo is picking up once he's um, getting his belongings back from the police station. <laughs> oh 
all gold, especially with like the super tacky, loud cologne. I'm just like, oh, wow, they, they fully went all into stereotypes this episode. And this is a little bit of fun. Let's get a little bit depressing again. Let's talk about music. So the songs this episode, we open up. Sorry, I had this all written down with Bass and Trouble is the song that Arroyo is swimming backwards in his infinity pool to. But then, of course, we have You Are Well and Rhythm of the Night by Aldebarge. Then the song that's unfortunately playing before Odette is raped again and kills herself is I'm So Afraid by Fleetwood Mac. Let me read some of these lyrics to you. Days when the rain and the sun are gone, black as night, agony's torn up my heart too long. So afraid, slip and I fall and I die. I've been alone, always down, and no one cared to stay around. I never change, I never will, I'm so afraid the way I feel. Wow. And then we end this episode with... I cannot read my handwriting, please give me one second. Cold Wind Blows by Carla Benef. <laughs> Cannot read my own handwriting at all. Wow. Well, that's an end to a depressing episode. Next week, however, we might take a break next week. I do have to do a little bit of traveling, so I might not be able to give you a full episode next week. Maybe a little bonus episode, what have you. I'm going to try to stick to weekly episodes as much as possible. But the next episode that we're going to cover is Back in the World. A little bit depressing with the whole theme of the Vietnam War, but a killer soundtrack by The Doors. So thank you once again for listening, getting through this really tough episode with me, for liking, for subscribing, for telling your friends, for sending me lovely warm messages, for sending me ideas. Hey, maybe let's bring that Discord back. Again, you can find me at all things social at Vice and Easy Podcast. I have updated. It turns out that the old TikTok link was going to the mobile. Now it is going straight to my profile. So I've updated that on YouTube. I've updated that on the website and I've updated that in the episode descriptions. If you do see episode artwork, please let me know because I've been having a hell of a time trying to get that problem rectified with every single episode. My artwork has disappeared from every streaming platform. So very frustrating because my artwork is very Funny, and I take a lot of pride in kind of getting a little bit of the gist of the episode in each and every piece. So hopefully that will be rectified for the time I get back to record the next episode. Thank you as always for listening. Thank you for listening to Vice and Easy. And as always, hey man, Miami Wise is number one new show.